everyone. So welcome within emerging markets, uh, time for emerging markets. I'm here with a very good friend, Abinaf. Um, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, Guatam. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you got it close. Uh, Abinaf Gotham. Gotham. Absolutely. Good. Good. Awesome. Great friend. I've known him for a couple of years and um, he, he, you know, he's someone who you know, took the risk and, and you know, pulled himself in and literally went to East Africa, specifically Rwanda, to, and he has been to other African countries. But, you know, he, he went there and did some really amazing entrepreneurial work in Rwanda. And I think his story over this past couple of years um, is something worth sharing and uh, some very great insights that I'm sure all of us are going to learn from it. So thank you, Abina, for being here. It was a pleasure to chat with you. Um, uh, pleasure is mine. Sure. Uh, sure. Good to be on the show. Uh, congrats. I think you just you hit your one year anniversary, right? Couple yes. Of dates back. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes. Actually, yeah. Actually, yes, yes, yes. It's one year. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Started, started right during the pandemic. So I'm very happy to be here and finally come on the show. And uh, Glad to hear different entrepreneurs and uh, speakers that you brought on. So I'm doing really well. I'm happy you made it today. Uh, so much to share, uh, learn from you. Um, yeah, man, let's start. Like, uh, what's your, just tell us like a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, um, and just how your yeah. childhood was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I've been fortunate to grow up in multiple places. Uh, I was born in England, but I grew up mostly, especially my first 10 years or so in India, uh, small town compared to Indian towns, but uh, Varanasi or Banaras, it's a town of a million plus, but uh, I grew up in there and then my family uh, immigrated to the United States since I was in Pittsburgh for a couple of years and then mostly grew up in Rhode Island and Boston. So. East Coast, uh, U.S. Uh, childhood was always great. No complaining. Uh, so it, it's been uh, great. And I think it's been a very formative childhood uh, due to the exposure of growing in not only different places of the world, um, but being exposed to different cultures and people uh, that I always feel has given me a little bit of a cutting edge and just understanding where some people come from uh, when we're working on or when I'm working on solutions yeah yeah that, that's cool that's cool and 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 just I didn't know you stayed in Pittsburgh that that, that could have been that's... yeah I love Pittsburgh I think it's just, it has changed a lot it is still a very underrated um, and I did go back to Pittsburgh as well later on to do my undergrad at Carnegie Mellon so I spent even much more time there uh, but I always loved Pittsburgh, and I think um, just to come as a kid, as a teenager, almost, uh, it's a great city just to be exposed to, especially for someone like me who are more interested in science and technology and math, and, and uh, the city is just off, right? And it's, it's just a beautiful city. It's, uh, we have the most number of bridges in the world, I think, right after uh, Venice. So please check out if you haven't been there yet. Check it out, man. Um, I mean, going now into Carnegie Mellon, uh, one is very repeatable school. How was how was it like in, uh, there, and 
how did that shape you? What were some of the things you took out, uh, lessons learned in your Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, uh, I think it's a reputable school because of uh, just that, not only that it's, it's a tech powerhouse, but uh, one of the great things I love about Carnegie Mellon and why I think it was unique in that perspective was that it's a very interdisciplinary school. So only though a lot of people just know it for engineering or computer science, you know, we have some of the best uh, architecture, drama, design schools around the world. So I think that was one of the great opportunity was just that uh, being this university, um, given though it is an expensive university, but it comes <laughs> with its uh, uh, benefits of having access for you to go and try out different things. So that was also the first time uh, I had jumped into my entrepreneurship or where I caught my bug, right? So I ended my freshman uh, first semester of one pitch competition. And that's when I started working on my first company. Um, and I know it's completely different now. <laughs> I know like five-year-olds are launching companies and launching their IPOs or raising Series A or whatnot. Uh, but still back in the day, I think, you know, I, I was still in the front edge of where the, a lot of internet tech stuff was popping up. So it was great in the sense that you had access to not only smart faculty and often people who were the domain leaders in different technology, right? Uh, I mean, for example, like these days, everybody's talking about machine learning and AI, but a lot of machine learning initial stuff came out of Carnegie Mellon that was happening right when I was there. So you could see what we're discussing today being taught about just a decade back in the, some of the presentations or symposium. But um, also just that people came from uh, different backgrounds. So you really got to work with diverse group of peers, whether it was an extracurricular activities or group projects. So that I think just gave me a further, more of a global perspective and also just to, uh, you know, not only work with smart or nerd, nerdy people, but being exposed to their other uh, different hobbies or point of perspective that was often lacking in uh, some of those uh, in my earlier uh, schools. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. Yeah, I think I think most I worked with one uh, entrepreneur that uh, went to Carnegie Mellon, very smart guy, um, built this company called Bridge for Billions. Um, mm-hmm. um, you no, know, and he mentioned the same thing like you know, he really loved the school Carnegie Mellon. Um, so yeah, let, let's kind of go uh, more into um, how what like what really convinced you, or I guess what what, what led you to. Uh, you know, doing entrepreneurial ventures, and you mentioned in university at Carnegie, you did some. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's been a bug, right? Uh, <laughs> entrepreneurship bug. Uh, no, to me, I, I, I was uh, thanks to my education and thanks to my parents, I was always good at math and engineering and kind of like technical things. But then I always loved solving problems or helping people. And to me, it was the bridge entrepreneurship was and is still the bridge of taking technology or what I'm really good at and applying to solving really critical problems. So I think that to me, it is it, still the or the draw in factor is that um it's a platform where you can take multiple skills and that's, you know, 
that's what I was also being exposed to is like interdisciplinary skills and combine that together into something really, whether it's a product or service that can make uh, somewhat of an impact on somebody's life and improve their life in one manner. So I think that's entrepreneurship is the best way to kind of uh, implement or strive for those goals. Now, given it, it is not as easy as it said, right? So everybody knows, or a lot of people who have gone through this journey would know that. Um, but yeah, I think that's what drew me in is that I didn't necessarily need to, uh, you know, work for a company or, or, or work for a big corporations, um, but seeing how you can start something small and you may not reach a billion people, but you can still reach 1,000 people, 1,000 people and still make a somewhat of a significant impact. For sure, for sure, for sure. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, and just towards that, I mean, I know, uh, I mean, before that, like, once you did uh, that entrepreneurial drive or the entrepreneurial move that you did in Carnegie Mellon, how, what happened between then, uh, at that time, and when you decided you want to go to Africa, what happened? What was the... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a lot happened, <laughs> looking back. Uh, a lot of failures happened. A lot of, lot of burnouts happened, right? Uh, I burned out of my first company and I actually failed it. And then I failed a couple other companies after that. So I think there's a lot of lessons from that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think Carnegie Mellon it has been the bridge to kind of, for me, entering Africa a little bit as well. I had gone to uh, Ethiopia in 2013, I believe, or 2014 of summer. I was my first time on the continent. But uh, following that year in 2015 summer, we ran a program in Carnegie Mellon called Project Rwanda. And since we have had a campus now almost for a decade in Rwanda, sister campus for graduate programs, uh, students at Carnegie Mellon, we ran a program for Project Rwanda where we would take a dozen or so students from Pittsburgh campus and our Doha campus and bring them to Rwanda for two weeks and uh, do kind of like technical workshops. All right, one summer we were teaching how to code uh, to young elementary school students. So that was the first time I entered Rwanda. And at the same time with another partner, I was running a company that focused on water purification. So after that program ended, yeah, the rest of our team flew back to the United States. And then my partner and I stayed there for the rest of the summer doing a little bit of pilot testing and more of on-ground interviews. So I was fortunate to kind of travel most of Rwanda and just fell in love, I think, in the sense that not only it, it's, it's, it's very beautiful, safe, the weather's great, there's no snow, uh, but the people are really friendly and happy and uh, approachable in the sense, right? I, I had been fortunate to travel a little bit before that uh, around the world, but it was you know, Rwanda, what allowed me was that it was really not in your face kind of country, even though they have uh, one of the highest density of populations, but being a country with thousand hills, um, parts of the country doesn't really feel like that there's too many people. So um, it gave me an exposure to just see how things are. And again, growing up mostly in Western or US education system, nobody does a good job of painting what it's like in Africa, right? Even Western media, most of the world media, you don't really know what's happening there or what the places are like. And to me, when getting there, I didn't really know what to expect. I wasn't going to be surprised because I had traveled a lot, 
but then the what I got out of it was that there's just uh, you know it's it's a young country it's a young vibrant country the population is mostly young due to a little bit of the history but just that uh, uh, that you know more young people of my age under 30 are making significant populations so, uh, it creates an environment where things are just starting out or as people call it right it's a frontier market or pe- things are just about to happen. And to me, like somebody who loves building startups or starting startups, that's like the most exciting time to be at and explore. So that drew me up. And then uh, that's how uh, about three years back, I was between startups. I was traveling a bit again, and then I had to decide what I wanted to do. And I was like, hey, I either want to go to Philippines or Rwanda to go start on some of the things I want to work in and ended up just... Uh, applying for one of the hackathons happening in Kigali mm-hmm. in August um, and something with an agriculture problem that I heard about and I wanted to solve. I applied that, um, got into the program, and then about a week later, I was back on the ground in Kigali. So That's crazy. That was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're going to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. Just going back, when you arrived at uh, Rwanda your first time, what were some of the what was like your first impression? I mean, beyond the nice weather and all that, what? Yeah. Like, what was? Uh, to my first impression was that uh, it's really clean, like clean, clean, <laughs> in the sense that, especially in the Kigali, the city, right? Um, it is that not only it's clean, but the roads are paved, is that you don't really see that much trash. Now, growing up mostly in India and the U.S., and I have traveled a lot of places in Asia, even Europe, or parts of even now Africa, the so-called developed world of where you, you know, big cities, you can be walking in New York and still see trash on the ground. That's often a rarity in Rwanda. So to me, that was fascinating, not, not because it was an African country, it was Rwanda. It was fascinating to me see that there's part of the world that, you know, people follow rules. People, if they have trash, they will throw it in the trash bin. And that's often very rare to see even some of the cleanest places you go in the world. So to me, that was like interesting was that there, there's a part of the culture where um, as a community thing, right? There's something called Omaganda that every uh, last Saturday of every month, the community gathers to go out and clean up uh, half a day of their Saturday. So whether that's something else, maybe if there's some trash or something, they're cleaning that up. But things like building up uh, roads or potholes, um, again, it's a hilly country, half the year it's rainy. So some of the dirt roads that you may have, they may develop potholes or other, uh, you know, nuances. Uh, so that to me was fascinating, was that we often don't see that on a whole countrywide level, right? parts of the world in different parts of the countries, you may have communities who are coming together and keeping a clean and safe uh, society around themselves, but we don't see it as a country level. So, so to me, that was just surprising to a certain extent or more of like just restoring more faith in human society because uh, wherever else you go in the world, uh, obviously people do not follow uh, or do not care for the environment despite what they're preaching. So, yeah. Uh, we've had the reputation, that, that reputation of Rwanda like being very clean. And um, 
and I am also honest or skeptical, like, um, and I know you kind of referenced, like, not because it was an African country, but I, for one, I was just like, it's going to be, I hope this is not just rhetoric. I hope that people are actually, you know, following the law. And what I hear is what happens. So thanks for sharing that. I think it actually brings to light that, you know, things people can actually be hopeful about, you know, you know taking care of the environment or just being clean and, you know, societies in Africa can function regardless, you know, respect of where you yeah. are. Um, now, now, going now into startup experience itself mm-hmm. in Rwanda. So you applied for the hackathon. This was 2019, 2018. 2018. Yeah. Uh, how was it like uh, once you got into the hackathon? Can you just walk us through the experience and leading to that? Yeah. Uh, so I was working with a partner um, there. So it was a friend of, uh, it's actually one of the friends that I had made in 2015. It was his brother. And, and uh, you know, we were working on that. Um, I think, uh, so we, we were trying to work on more on reducing post-harvest losses that farmers face. basically whatever is harvested out of the farms, you lose 40 to 50% to various reasons, most mainly lack of proper transportation or storage. So whatever ends up in the markets on your plate, it's only about maybe 40, sometimes even 30% of what was actually produced. So the hackathon was actually great. Um, the, there was an organization, one of the chapters of Impact Hub, Impact Hub Kigali was running it. So it took us through uh, some elements of design thinking. But what I really loved was that, you know, they gave us a space a little bit to uh, go and talk to actual people in the markets. So there are uh, two or three wholesale markets in the city of Kigali. Um, where we could actually go and talk to some of the vendors who faced this issue in a different perspective because after the produce they had gotten, they may have been lucky to sell half of it or sometimes a little bit more than half, but then they would have to store it in, in, in their shops with no proper storage. And then the next day they would come, you know, half of it would be rotten for fresh veggies and fruits. So the hackathon was good in that perspective. I think, um, you know, we went through different stages. We were among top of the finalists. Then we got a little bit of grant money to go develop a prototype or so for a first month. And then through after that, we eventually placed first and got a bigger grant ticket size. Uh, it was challenging because we were coming as a hardware startup, right? So hardware startups are always super hard. Uh, we were not making just a service or a software product. Uh, so when we were even prototyping, uh, it's super challenging because uh, being a landlocked country and and, and uh, not so much of a developed of tinkering uh, space, even though there there there's you know gratefully there's fab labs and maker spaces that were there and now there are even more. Um, we didn't really have access to a few of the simple things such as sensors or certain electronic parts that we needed which was challenging because we had to import some weather from China or India and it would take a couple weeks for it to come. So it was fast, it was a little bit slow for us to do fast iterative design and tinkering. So that led us to a lot of delays. Um, and then eventually I think sometimes, you know, looking back, hackathons are really great for people to come together and work fast and really think about a problem. But sometimes, um, you know, when hackathons or whatever, they had their own timeline, right? Which may not necessarily match with a startup's timeline or a startup's timeline who's trying to do work on really super hard problem by using hardware solutions. Um, 
and again, maybe we shouldn't have been just working on hardware solutions, but if you're working with hardware solutions, it, it slows down the process of having fast iterative uh, design or changes. So those are the challenges. I think those challenges are still existing there, right? Uh, especially when you look at something as like, I had built my previous startup in Rwanda was also hardware, right? And we were working in Pittsburgh. Um, it had its own set of challenges in terms of mechanically designing something, but whatever part we needed was either available to us. Uh, we were still in college, either at Carnegie Mellon or at some makerspace, just a five minute drive away, or we could order something and something will show up on our doorstep the next day. But that's not the case, at least in Rwanda and even today. Uh, there's a lot more makerspaces and it is a little easier now for people to come and implement things. But when you're working on some sort of like deep tech or some some very not something uh, a little bit more complicated than beyond arduinos or basic electronic parts it becomes slightly challenging and gets very expensive to get those things into the country and have the ability to build fast that's crazy <laughs>